the, the Boga Hunting Podcast. That's why I, I tried not to have camps on my bow. I don't have to deal with slippage or anything Shut like that. Up. You just put a new string on there, you're fine. What is Boga? But seriously, that's the dumbest thing I've ever re- seen. It go- I am all about just it. strap it to your pack. Really appreciate the fact that you're from Michigan and not Georgia. You don't want to be the next Mark Kenyon. No. I'm a shit show. <laughs> that's, that spot's taken. You can see how pathetic Jared's face is right now. <laughs> because that's how it looked. It was just like, is this good enough? Hello and welcome back to the Boga Hunting Podcast, everybody. This is a show for hunters of all skill levels looking for knowledge and experience. So follow along and let's strengthen your hunt. First light. First light camo. We uh, rock a lot of their gear a lot of the time. In fact, on a daily basis, I wear an article of First Light clothing. Great stuff. If you are a whitetail hunter, it's great stuff. If you hunt out west, we love it. Their wool is top of the line. Merino wool is the way to go. Firstlight.com. Another sponsor of this podcast is HuntWise. It's an app that's basically your one-stop shop when you want to do anything with hunting on your phone. It's got social media. It's got mapping software. It has a place to buy gear. It's, it's awesome. If you want to learn more, go to HuntWise.com. Handcrafted in a small northern Michigan town, Bivouac Bow Company is Michigan's premier traditional archery manufacturer. Their machines and sanders are all purpose-built, and they only use the highest quality materials available. To meet the bowyers in their truly one-of-a-kind bows, visit bivouacbowco.com. If you haven't heard yet, there's a lot of buzz around saddle hunting these days, and if you're anything like us, you want to use the best gear available. If you're thinking of trying your hand at saddle hunting this year, don't settle for some knockoff brand. Use the saddle company that has been doing it since 1961. Visit trophyline.com to find out more. One of the reasons we've been so successful hunting in the backcountry is because we've had quality products to work with, and we've decided to partner with Seek Outside for a couple of reasons. All their products are really made to improve the backcountry experience, whether that's backpacks, tents, stoves, or other backcountry gear. These guys really know how to make a quality product. So if you want to learn more, head over to SeekOutside.com. Last but not least, Stierka. Optics. Sturka Optics. Do you say Stirka? I say Stirka. Great binoculars, great rifle scopes. Yeah. I'm actually going to be rocking one on my uh, AR build that I have. A little red dot action. Mm-hmm. Great warranty made in the U.S. Uh, check them out. Stirkastrong.com. This month we have been talking all things private land, including everything from how to purchase and then manage a property for the purpose of hunting. We've spoken with land specialists from Whitetail Properties, staff members from QDMA, and today we are joined by one of the most reputable Whitetail Habitat consultants out there, Jake Elinger. Jake is not only the owner and operator of Habitat Solutions, but has been shaping his own piece of ground into a Whitetail paradise for decades. Being a relatively new Habitat manager myself, and with James and Jared not having much experience in the area, I'm hoping that tonight we can do a little Habitat Management 101. Jake, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. I, I appreciate it. Yeah, Mark, and I really, I want to say I appreciate something because you said not having much experience. I feel like that's giving me a lot more credit than I actually have. I have zero experience Zippo. Uh, with you've, managing land. I'm you've a, been managing your zero. back three. Come on. My back three, I just go out there and I don't do anything. So I know I've never managed land. I do public land or hunt the back three out here. So. Yeah. Well, it, it'll be, you know, it, the whole process is so much fun. And anybody I've worked with over the years will agree with me later that, you know, th- actually doing the work is uh, far more enjoyable than the hunt itself. 
That's fair. Wow, you yeah. you elevated to that level. You say it's it's more fun than the hunt itself these days, huh? Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, it's all about the preparation, you know, right. just like preparing for the hunt. That's great. So what brought you to habitat management, Jake? Well, you know, a uh, combination of things. Uh, as a as a young hunter that was looking to try and uh, get up close to mature deer, I was lucky enough to be able to buy the property that I killed my first whitetail on in 1981. And my wife and I, uh, you know, discussed it and said, yeah, let's let's make an offer. And it's 67 and three quarters acres, just about 68 acres altogether in northwest Lenaway County. And uh, so we bought the property and, you know, this was, you know, a few decades ago and there, you know, and it was not the technology available that there is today. And uh, so a lot of stuff I just had to learn on my own, you know, kind of trial and error. But my goal was to create better hunting for myself. And through that process, I learned an awful lot about habitat management, you know, what's right, and what's wrong. And, and I made, you know, pile of mistakes in the process, <laughs> right. uh, which, I, which I now, uh, you know, pass on to clients. But after 20 plus years of success and being in the automotive industry as a high speed automation engineer driving 94 miles one way, I was looking for a change in lifestyle. So in 1999, I uh, gave up my well paying jobs and my long three hour commute to Detroit to embark on a whole new career, which is habitat management. Wow. So you killed your first buck in 81, you said on that property. When did you actually purchase it? Oh, I killed my first buck on this property way back in the 70s. Oh, geez. Okay. So you purchased an 81. I purchased an 81, but I, I lived right next to the man that owned this property. He gave me permission to hunt it. Gotcha. And I, and actually that buck was killed with a true flintlock long rifle patch and ball. Nice. There you go. Manly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, early morning hunt, all that good stuff. So, uh, you know, not not a very big buck, you know, but it didn't matter to me. It, it had, counts. It had a little bit of antler on it, so that's all that mattered. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. So you've been with the property for over 40 years now? Yes. Yeah. Wow. And yeah. harvested how many bucks? You were just showing us the trophy. Um, I think if I go through my records, I believe it's 88. It might be 89. I'm not sure if I got this last year's buck included in that list. Okay. I keep some pretty good records. I just haven't reviewed it uh, recently, but uh, but I know it's right up in there. Sure. Yeah. So what is it about this habitat stuff that really resonates with you, Jake? Um, you know, there's a couple of things. Number one, it gives you as a landowner an opportunity to kind of change your options. Okay. Some people, regardless of the property, how it sits, where they park their vehicle, whatever's going on with the neighbors, food sources, some properties are better than others. But anyways, as a habitat manager, you can change that. Basically, you can change your life. You can change your hunting. You can change the habitat. It's all on Mother Nature's schedule, but there isn't anything that you can't get done if you want to. Yeah. Now, are you, uh, are you, do you do any farming or anything else aside from this white t- this land management, or is it just, is it all kind of geared toward deer? It's pretty much all geared toward deer. There is some farming involved. i I plant quite a bit in food plots, around 11 acres worth of food on this property. But it's all geared toward deer. And I wouldn't say 100% deer. It's definitely geared toward pheasants and turkeys. And, you know, everything benefits when you manage for deer habitat. It really does. All the all the non-game species and everything else. So what exactly is it that Habitat Solution offers then? So uh, what my company offers as a service 
is landowners and hunters contact me through either my Facebook page or my web page or just word of mouth. And they want to improve their hunting and improve their habitat. So I offer a, a daily assessment. I come out and meet the landowners at their property and I walk through the property and that can be a 30 acre property. It could be a 260 acre property. What I would guess the average is somewhere between 40 and 80 acres. It's kind of the average sure. size of the client that hires me. And I, uh, you know, I, I go completely through that property with them and show them this is what the deer, here's where the deer are using and here's why. Um, here's where the deer aren't using and here's why. Here's, you know, here's my ideas of what you can do to improve it. And we mark off potential bedding areas, potential stand sites, potential food plot locations. We discuss entry and exit strategies. And throughout the, throughout the entire day, I teach a lot to the landowner. I show them where the deer are bedding. I often show people, you know, that really don't know what to look for. Hey, right over here, I'm going to walk to this area and I'll bet you I'll find some deer beds. And sure enough, I'll show them deer beds and, and places where they're feeding and browsing and all types of things so that they can understand why the big picture that I'm going to put together for them at a later date matters. And ultimately, at the end of the day, we sit down and discuss, you know, here's the pluses, here's the great things about your property, here's the gaps that need to be filled. And that can be everything from cover to food to access. There's a lot of different factors. And I, I leave them with a lot of information, kind of how-to, step-by-step process information that I give, give them on a flash drive. And then usually within about 10 days to two weeks from my visit, I create an extremely detailed, customized land management plan that I do here on my computer. And I also create a video that goes along with that where I, I do a voiceover and point with my cursor all the different areas in their plan from entry to exit, early season stands, rut period stands, how to hunt it during late season. Uh, I mean, I, I cover a lot of detail and everything from food sources to recommended food sources, uh, screening, you know, getting in and out of property. If you own just one property, and a lot of my clients do, so they don't go to public land. And so they're kind of forced, but this is my only option. Here's the only location I have to hunt. And they want to make it better. And they've, right. they've learned through a few years, usually, that they can be their worst enemy sometimes. They're going at the wrong time. They're not paying attention to scent control. Maybe they've kind of ignored the wind. And even though they had some camera data with some nice bucks, they found out real quickly that, these bucks are no longer showing up on their property in daylight. And so that's why they've contacted me is to help them get there. And that's the plan. That's the service I put together for each client. I'm it's curious, something... uh, for a prospective land buyer, what's the greatest makeover that you've done to a property? Have you taken like essentially a deer desert and made it into a deer paradise? Several times, including the one I live on. You know, at one time, really? it was pretty much a deer desert. When you looked at the history of the, the previous owner and he let everybody and his brother hunt on it, including a 17-year-old kid that killed his first buck with a muzzle. Yes. <laughs> yeah, right, right. And uh, uh, yes, and I've, I've had some great success stories of people that bought properties that really had a lot, you know, it had several problems. No, no major food sources, not good cover, uh, no, you know, you know, wide open open fields they park their truck they've got across 10 15 acres of what once was a picked bean field you know not a not right. a piece of cover more than six inches tall to yes. try and walk to a woods that's basically a thin fence row with a little bit of wetland here yep. and there and try to hunt deer 
and to watch them go through the years and and plant all the the cover sources that I recommend they plant and then have them start sending me pictures. I can't believe it, Jake. It worked out just like you told me. You know, I put the stand here. I waited to this wind. I waited till this time of the year. I had the food source. I knew where the does were bedding. Sure enough, here comes this buck. Look, it's the best buck I've ever killed in my life. I just love that. Okay. There isn't a better text message or email I can get from a client than that right there. That's got to be super rewarding. Um, I'm, I'm guessing you get come contacted from people that have hit rock bottom, so to speak, where they've, they're beating their head against the wall, trying to kill a mature buck. And, you know, they've been hunting this property for years and they want to overhaul it. When do you typically recommend someone reach out to you, especially for uh, our purposes here as new landowners? So, um, do, do you like someone to have some, you know, feet on the ground, a year or two of experience, or is it best to have, uh, you know, fresh eyes right out of the gate? You know, um, great question, Mark, because in my opinion, I think it matters a lot for a new landowner to have one, preferably two hunting seasons of experience on that property. That way I get some, I get some important feedback on what that landowner is seeing, what they run into. To follow up on that one question, you know, people hit rock bottom, so to speak. Yeah. And I will tell you, my phone, text messages, and emails really light up from about November 18th on. <laughs> right. <laughs> when it doesn't happen. <laughs> it's like, okay, you know, they tried it, they worked on it, and, you know, it's, and, you know, if it's November 18th and they're calling me, it's not going to happen. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, we're into lockdown and all the human pressure and it's really hard. And, and I don't know, uh, as far as James and Jared go, if you guys are Michigan hunters, Oh yeah. Uh, Born yeah. And raised. Okay. Then you, then you, you absolutely get it. And you know about the Michigan state land and, oh, and yeah. just the, amount of, the amount of pressure, you know, we have very long liberal gun seasons yeah. on antler bucks in Michigan. And so they're few and far between. And two buck tags. Yes. Yeah. And two buck tags. No. You, know, you got it. You get yeah. archery, then you're yeah. one buck, and then you're restricted buck. So three, really. You get a, a third one for archery? No, you get one. Oh, maybe not. I think they're yeah. combined. Yeah, I think so. No, they're, yeah, yeah, they're, they're combined, combo. Yeah. They're still in Probably certain counties. <laughs> there's been some major changes in the last two years, especially in southern Michigan with the chronic wasting disease. Right. right. So they designate counties for as chronic wasting disease counties. That does not mean that that county has to have one positive. It kind of reminds you of this whole COVID thing. Yeah, okay? exactly. So, so my yeah. county, for example, has been designated. Last hunting season was the first year, but because they designated the adjoining county, eight or nine miles north of me, Jackson County, had a positive. So they designated Lenaway County as a positive. All right. That removed the restricted tag. It it allowed two three inch spikes to be legal. Ah, oh, shoot. Yep. Wow. Which was really kind of a shame because you know some people take advantage of that and some of don't. But, yes. uh, but yeah, just to clarify that that's happening. And so it's happening in, in, you know, a dozen counties or more in Southern Michigan now, and kind of some up along the West side going up towards Muskegon and that, that area as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's so, so these people that contact me, these landowners and hunters, uh, you know, they are, some of them are brand new landowners. And often I kind of say, well, you know, if you're not in a hurry, I'd prefer that you have a year or two. And other guys just bought it and they say, it doesn't matter. I want you here right now. And I say, okay, I'll come help you. Right. I can do just as good a job both ways. But there's certain pieces of hunting information and travel information that landowners have witnessed 
I know, uh, Mark, when you and I were talking the other day, you've hunted and managed a piece of property for several years. So you have some good feeling on what normal travel uh, patterns and things like that are on that farm, if I was to ask you that question. And you, uh, you also do some pre-purchase consultation too, right? Yeah, yes, I do. And uh, I can't say a lot, but it, it's a net five, five to eight percent of my clients contact me about properties they're thinking about buying. I so see. I'm not going to visit. I'm not going to visit or look at all 30 or 40 properties that some people look at. But when they dial it down to one or two, um, I can do it either via the computer and on the phone mm-hmm. and ask a lot of questions. But ideally, I'll actually I'll meet the the potential buyer at the property and walk the property with them. And then I, I basically put a report together with some, I'll take a dozen, a dozen or more photos and put those photos in the report and basically quantify that property, you know, on, on a scale of one to 10, you know, how it ranks in cover and deer density. Oh, I like that. And, yeah, that's a good that idea. Kind of thing. Yeah. What do you call it? The Jake score? Or do you like, do you have a name for it? J score? <laughs> yeah. Has someone... <laughs> Has someone specifically chosen a property based off your analysis of the property? Yes. Yeah. How many? How yeah. well? How many times would you say that? Is that, that an often happen? thing? Yeah. Or? Um, I I would say uh, sometimes I'll be you know I'll I'll, I'll have three properties that this uh, client is interested in, mm-hmm. and I'll dial it down to these two. I'll say you know either of these two are great. I'd, okay. I'd buy. I'd buy both. And, and this one's, <laughs> this one's got, got these factors, but I've also had probably in the last 20 years, I'd say a dozen or more people where we dialed it right down to the one property yeah. and they bought it and they did, they did very well with it. Oh, that's awesome. And you know, it's, it's like so many things, you know, the, the luckier you get, the harder you work. So <laughs> if the client isn't willing to do the changes and, and, do the work that it takes to improve it to where it needs to be, that it's still going to be, you know, the kind of property he bought. Sure. Or she bought. Is there, is is there, there a time of year? Yeah. I was just going to visit a property. I'll tell you what, I love to visit a property in that uh, late February, March before and right up to green up mm-hmm. because it looks a lot like it does in November. Right. So, and you also all the deer trails, the, the rubs and scrapes are there. So you get to see what it looks like during the hunting season yeah. without it, you know, without walking into the bedding areas and blowing deer out. Now, yeah. when, when you go in, is there like a, maybe a philosophy that you stick mm. to? Like, what's your creed when it comes to, you know, habitat design? Like, what's, what's kind of your go-to move out there? Well, you know, I mean, there's so many props, especially the state of Michigan. And, and I also service, you know, up to 25 different Midwestern states as well. Right. Uh, but, you know, there's topography uh soil conditions uh is it is it rural is it country is it big woods you know we get in northern michigan versus southern michigan completely different types of property right but ideally i mean if i'm looking for the the creed of the property i'm looking for something in that 50 to 60 acres that's got 10 to 15 acres of tillable okay 10 to 15 acres of wetland river bottom uh something like that holds water on the property and the remainder of the property in a mixture of woods and conifers and early successional growth. Okay. And, and that's kind of, you know, if a person brings me a property like that, that they're starting out with and they want to develop it into a really good hunting property with a, a management plan, that type of property uh, 
will develop pretty quickly. I would say within 10 years, you should be at your goal. Oh, really? That, okay. That would be seeing seeing and harvesting the best bucks that you, that you get in that area. You know, certain areas in Michigan, there's plenty of 150-inch deer, and then there's other areas in Michigan, as you know, that you're lucky to see something over 110 or 120. <laughs> oh, one you know? to 50-inch deer. The, the, it's been historically by us. That's that's been by us. Uh, yeah. You don't you don't see that too often. We're uh, we're in like Kent County to Macosta County, uh, that area. Oh yeah. Yeah, yep. and we haven't just. I mean, there's some, but at least where we've been, there's there's not been a ton of huge huge deer out there. Yeah, yep. it's coming around though. Not those APR zones are in yeah. effect. We've definitely. Oh, that's. Seen, yeah, we've seen a lot of a yeah, lot. What do you, what lot do you of think about those? Yeah. You, you, you're. I, I would have guessed you're for for them. I am, and personally, you know, I can just tell you before you ever heard the term APRs. Yeah. It was. I'm, I'm going to try to tell you what year it was. 1986. I killed a really nice buck on this farm uh, with a with a twelve gauge shotgun that my wife had bought me for Christmas. Beautiful, great, great Christmas. It was, it was a deer honey. slayer. It was a it was a Remington eight seventy deer slayer nice. with, with a rifled barrel, and and I worked as an engineer and, and I got one day off. Okay, I mean I never had time to hunt. You know, I had two boys and uh, but anyways, I I killed a really nice buck, a, a mid forties eleven point. Nice. So you know he comes That's a great by. Buck. It was is a really nice deer, and you know he's laying on the ground, and I'm feeling pretty good. It's eight thirty in the morning, and I got the best deer I've ever seen laying dead. You know, and I'm sitting ten feet away from it. You know, kind of just <laughs> basking. And at that time, we still had the two buck, or we had the two buck rule in Michigan, and it, it seemed like within an hour, you know, some deer start moving, and here's this really nice eight point that comes in following some does. Right, and I'm guess. He's in that 120 class, 110, 120. Okay. But I mean, he's wider than the ears. And he had, you know, like eight inch tines. And anyways, I passed him. I let him go. I yeah. thought, well, you know what? I, I'm going to hang out. And if I see something nicer, I'll kill it. But if not, I've, I've got a doe tag. I can kill a doe. And so that was kind of my beginning into what now everybody calls APRs. But I've been passing young bucks, younger bucks since then. It was 86 when it all came together. And I killed a couple year and a half old bucks through to about the early 90s when I made mistakes. I thought they were they were just really good year and a half olds. Right. I thought they were two-year-olds. Yep. And uh, so, yes, I'm, I'm a strong uh, believer in APRs uh, just because it helps advance the age structure for the bucks. And, and you know, if you guys are in, understand, you know, quality deer management, if you're going to get larger bodies and expressed uh, antler potential, it comes through age. Yep. There's no doubt genetics and food have a lot to do with it, but age is really where, you know, that's where it really starts to show up. So, yeah, I'm, I think uh, if you guys are hunting those counties that you mentioned and where they have the APRs, a lot of landowners I work with over there are telling me they're seeing the best deer they've ever seen. Now. Yep, we yep. have too. Yep, absolutely. So, well, I, it started, at, you know, at least by on our end of the state, that northwest corner of Michigan, like the pinky, the tip of the pinky area. Yep. Um yep. And so I've been, we've been kind of patiently waiting for it to come, come down further. So it's in Macosta where we do quite a bit of hunting. And I think this is year two, Jared, is that right? I believe so. Yeah. Every year I see some pretty great pictures of some successful public land hunters up in those counties killing some darn nice bucks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that's you guys, right? Yeah. That's yeah. historically <laughs> that's been us. And that, that's all yeah. our bucks. We let people use them for pictures because <laughs> yeah. uh, oh, we're not yeah. about fame. Yeah. 
I, I, Spread I the love. That, so. Yeah, it's we we stay humble. We're actually, you know, a podcast that strongly supports humility, uh, and, and so staunchly sharing <laughs> humility. Um, now, when you're looking at property, what's the what's the um, amount of land you need to literally have a herd that pretty much for the most part stays on your property? Like, how big does that have to be? I was wondering that. When you day. say herd, like you have deer that literally just live on your property; they're not moving off too Talk much. To- yeah. Like their home range. Okay. Yeah. So, so yeah. Let, let me let me dive into that a little bit. You know, depending on herd density, I mean, Michigan has all kinds of deer density changes. You have some places where there's over a hundred deer per square mile, and I've seen them. And then there's some places where there's not ten or fifteen deer per square mile. As you get closer to the cities and 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 areas like that, you get uh, up in the uh, edge of the edge of the upper peninsula there you know between the wolves and the winters there's just not the deer density like there are in other places but let's just say everything's equal and and we've got a uh, a likable deer density say like 40 to 50 uh, deer per square mile Uh, let me use that word preferred deer density uh you can have you know the home range of those deer does and bucks can be does and fawns uh have a much smaller home range than your bucks but even there are some bucks that have personalities that keep them like what I call homeboys. They don't venture as far as, but usually 40, 40 to 60 acres when it's managed correctly will provide adequate bedding areas for does and fawns and adequate bedding areas for different bucks, depending on the food sources and, and the cover and, and deer like cover. So uh, I talk a lot about early successional growth. That's why I you know, I'm, I'm Mr. Chainsaw. You know, I right. cut a lot of trees and a lot of people that know me say, man, you know, your woods just must be a total mess. You must cut everything that stands up. And I said, no, it's not like that. <laughs> but there's certain areas I do run the chainsaw a lot to create early successional growth, which turns into leaves and, and forbs and things that deer can eat that's available for deer to eat. So that does that answer that question? Given food and cover, and not a lot of human disturbance, a 40 to 60 acre property can hold quite a few deer. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't need that mm. 300 plus acre. No. Yeah. No. And, and you know, those deer that are on that 40 or 50 to 60 acre property, it doesn't mean that that's where they live exclusively. Sure, they leave that property. They go on to the neighbors. Um, 800 acres is a pretty typical, if you were to average a home range, some bucks are going to exceed that. Some does are going to be less than that. So really, if you look at a square mile, 640 acres, that's a pretty typical home range for deer. Okay. Uh, but like so many things, a lot of deer home ranges don't get a lot of use from deer. So if you can take your 60 acres and make your 60 acres the, the one area that these deer spend 80% of their time in, now mm-hmm. you're going to see those deer a lot more often. And that's because they've got good cover. They're not being disturbed by people all the time, and they've got good food sources. You know, that actually reminds me of uh, a study that I, I, I read actually a couple years ago. They did a study on how actually human habits, they only, they, sorry, they studied the habits of humans while they're living in their house and actually what rooms they actually enter and spend time in throughout the day. All right. Well, and they used, they, they used like a heat map <laughs> to trigger, you know, they spend 25% um, percent in the kitchen uh, about 80% in the bedroom, like 1% or 2% in like a, a living room or a dining room. And so the, the thing was, was are these rooms actually essential for living? 
Right. Because yeah. people, I, I mean, if they don't use them, they're not actually yeah. using it. So that, so, so that kind of just reminded me of, you know, what you had mentioned. No, you know actually, what I mean? You know, I've got a good segue for that. I tell my clients, I, I always mention to them at the end of the day, have they ever heard of the 80-20 rule? Yes, exactly. So you know the 80-20 rule. That, that's yes. about organizations, volunteer groups, in, any, uh, any corporate America job you've had, you know. 80% of the people do 20% of the work. 20% of the people do 80% of the work. 20% so of the people create 80% of the problems I'm pointing at, Jared, right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that's true, too, you know. Right. And and so in a Bucks home range, 80% of his own home range, he's going to spend 20%, 20 of his time. 20% of the property, in. yep. And then 20% of his home range, he's going to spend 80% of his time in. So make your property that 20% of his home range. Save that for a rainy day. Yeah, that's pretty good. So, Jared, based on what you, based on what you read, what what do you think? That's the eighty twenty rule applies. So, what, what was the eighty again? Where is the, uh, the for the people? Uh, so, that eighty percent of the time spent in house is only spent in twenty percent of the entire. house. Which rooms were they? I want to know. Bedroom. Bedroom, right? Um, yeah. wherever room there was a TV. Yeah, and I think yeah. the kitchen. Oh, right. and the yeah, kids. Yeah, Next you only need three rooms. That's the and only three new. Yeah, this yeah, we're crazy. pretty easy to please. Yep. Yeah, we don't need much. <laughs> they said like um, bathrooms were under three, four percent. Well, if you're Dining over, area, if you're over five yeah. percent of your year is spent in the bathroom, you you're doing something wrong, <laughs> or, something, or something right. Yeah, or something really right. <laughs> but yeah, it was just uh, it was an interesting study, and it just kind of kind of reminded me of no, that. No, that, so. that's that's really good because it applies very well to habitat. And in and deer home range, so so I want to talk about uh, new habitat managers, people that are just getting into this. Yeah, I know for me, I've only been at it a handful of years, and the intimidation factor I think that's associated with a lot of this stuff. You know, wielding a chainsaw and heading out into the woods and starting to hinge cut some trees or uh, jumping on a tractor and tilling dirt um, can be overwhelming uh for for some people where do you think the easiest points of entry are and what resources can people turn to to kind of educate themselves and start getting their feet wet well that's a really good question and it can be overwhelming and uh you know no, number one uh anyone that, like yourself that wants to make improvements needs to have a plan and right. that's not that's what i do for a living um, you, you can sketch it out on Google Earth or on a napkin on a sheet of paper. You should have in your mind, where do I, where would I like to plant this food plot? And then kind of think about why, if, if your property ha is deemed necessary with the right features to have a food plot in the, in the good soil. Yeah. And if I want to do hinge cutting, where do I want to do this hinge cutting and why? And will I be able to access past that? getting to and from certain stands without right. alerting the deer and will they smell me. So a plan comes in really good. So let's say you've got a plan. Then some of the easiest things to think about is before you even decide what you're going to plant and where you're going to cut, what are the, you know, what are the typical conditions you get to hunt that property under? What's, what's the quote, uh, what they call the predominant wind. And if mm. anybody looks at a wind rose, you'll find out the wind comes from the other direction than the quote predominant wind an awful lot. Right? I let out a lot of predominant wind. Do you? Yeah, no, I've been there no, for No, there's not really. If, if you look into it, there really isn't 
a thing called the predominant win, but you always hear about it. We do talk uh, about that quite often, Jared and I. <laughs> but, but, you know, some people, uh, say for me, for example, the only way I could access this property when I bought it, and still is, even though I have a good relationship with my neighbors and, and they'll let me swing around onto their property once in a while, was from the south, you know. So it was like, man, the only way in is from the south. And, you know, we have a lot of mild weather in October and November that with southerly or southwesterly winds. Yep. And, uh, you know, so that's my only point of entry onto that property. So what can I do to get me into the locations I want to hunt so that I'm not discovered by the deer as I approach? So kind of think about those things and try to set your food plots so they're not where you're going to be walking past them, uh, driving past them in your car, pickup, ATV. Mm-hmm. And then same with bedding areas. Try and locate your bedding areas far enough away to where they're not disturbed. And really the goal in land management is to keep the deer there and bring the deer to you instead of you go to the deer. And so, you know, any any small piece of property, 40 acres or less, can uh, you can make it completely devoid of deer in about three days of hunting if you're tromping all over it in the wrong place at the yeah. wrong time and and uh, probably a few guys, you guys have had a little experience with that. I know. Really jarreding <laughs> it up out there, you know. Guilty. <laughs> Jared it up. That's a good one. I, I like that name, by the way. My youngest son's name is Jared. You know, it no. means strength. <laughs> it means mighty hunter. <laughs> I don't even know what it means. So, Pathfinder, uh, I think. Nice. I can. But, you know, there, there are so many resources available today. Uh, you know, YouTube videos. There's blogs all over the place. Um, Quality Deer Management has some really good uh, articles and resources. Um, It is amazing the amount of information you can find today online. Uh, The trouble with that is there's just as much misinformation. Right. (laughs) Sure. You know, and uh, so, you know, I I have, you know, I try to create some content that, that shows real information, what really works and why it works on my own YouTube channel. And, uh, you know, I, I get some, some really good reviews from people on that. And so that's, that's going to be more of a bigger focus in my life as the years go by. Cause I've spent 20 years rambling all over the United States, managing deer for people and, and loved every minute of it. But I, you know, I'm in the last five or six years of doing this. I'll probably eventually, uh, end up staying closer to home as the years go by, you know, and, uh, and focus more on my property for a change. Right. Sure. In addition to your uh, one-on-one consultation, you also do some uh, in-person group um, sessions as well. Is that correct? That's that's true. I do some some habitat tours that start with a kind of a, a quick uh, PowerPoint presentation in education in in different habitats and and deer needs and deer biology, and then I bring. Uh, uh, the excited landowners and uh, hunters that show up to these uh, right. And we, we walk the entire property. I walk them right into the bedding areas. They get to see exactly how the deer use the property. They get to see what, what a hinge cut that's 20 years old. That's been cut three different times in the last 20 years, corridors that I built pinch points that I built uh, methods that I use for screening so I can enter and exit stands 
and kind of discuss when we get to the stands, here's the location of the stand, here's the wind direction, I only hunt this under, and here's why. And usually tell them a story about Brutus that came through and gave me the perfect 15-yard drive from side guy, you know, and that sort of thing. But, I mean, it's really educational because the light bulbs really go off. Yeah, You can watch videos, you know, until the cows come home, so to speak. But anybody that has met me and came to my habitat schools and and, uh, habitat days that I do here and had a chance to spend six or eight hours walking through these habitats and to see what it turns into. Um, You know, I mean, they just they just can't wait to go back to their properties and then, okay, now they're ready to go to work. They're not so overwhelmed. Sure. Yeah. Now, when you're when you're meeting somebody or, or like, you know, helping them start with their own property, what's like the number one thing that you found people do are doing wrong? Uh, when, when you get to the property, like the most common problem with, with the property? Probably the most common problem is they plant a food plot right there where they can see it. <laughs> yeah. That's nice to shoot it out of the hot tub, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, I run into that a lot. And some people have a cabin, you know, nice, nice cabin. Some have a very luxurious cabin. Others have uh, like a spot for a tent or a trailer that they park, you know, that kind of place. Yeah. Uh, but they often have the the first food plot that they ever attempted is right there where all the human activity is going on. I see that a lot. Well, if you think about it, yeah. how nice would it be just to climb out <laughs> of a tent and shoot your buck <laughs> yeah. right there? Yeah, let's be I, honest. I get it, you know, and I, I can't blame them for wanting to do it because, hey, there just happened to be a clearing right here and it's close to the, I'm saying. you know, it's I can take, I can load the seed and and the, the rototiller right off of the truck right here. So, I mean, it's convenient. Right. I, I get all that. So, uh, but that's probably the, the biggest one. And I would say, pro- and then the second biggest mistake I see is people that toy a little bit and understand how important cover is and put cover and bedding where it should not be. Mm. And they find out that in order to get to this really good spot during the prime time of the rut, every time they walk in, it busted, they jumped. It busted up. It yeah, busted. We, I mean, I've seen that before, for sure. And anybody knows. I mean, once you've done that, uh, it's it's a tougher hunt. Yeah. And I I try to tell my clients, I go, the easiest deer to kill is the one that doesn't know it's being hunted. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, now. Yeah, that makes sense. So, when you come on, you know, starting from maybe from scratch, how what what's some of the best change you've seen? Like how how hmm. quick uh what's like, like how the dramatic turnaround? have you seen yeah what's the turnaround uh, often look you like? know uh that's a good question and uh let's say this is that typical 40 to 50 acre property that's got 10 or 15 acres of tillable and it's yeah. and it's got so much wetlands and some mixed mixed hardwoods so the guy is uh, is good he pays attention he's a learner and he gets right out there and he plants uh, he plants some switchgrass and he plants some conifers and screening in the tillable he plants he plants the food sources where i tell him he creates his access paths on the perimeter of the property, so he's got perimeter access. And then he goes into his his wood lots, and he does some chainsaw work, everything from stand, traditional uh, timber harvest to just open the canopy and some hinge cutting and some travel corridors. Usually by year four, he's really starting to see things come together. Interesting. So, Interesting. so it's amazing how quickly you can turn it around in about year four, year five. It really is. And and I've got some um, many clients throughout, I'd say, from Traverse City South. Mm-hmm. Uh, you drew a line all the way from Traverse City to Alpena yep. and came all the way down to the Ohio and Indiana line. I've got probably, I would say, 50 to 100 clients 
that have been through that process and are seeing and killing the best deer of their lives now. That's awesome. Yeah, that is and awesome. some of these guys have 15 years worth of worth of time in it, but they all really started seeing it come together in about year three, four, and five. And you say, but within 10 years, you're going to be able to usually reach reach the goal you've got. Yeah, yeah. You know, and there's, there's always certain factors. I mean, you, you know, I, I we've got a, a couple of deer diseases here in Michigan. Yeah. Uh, EHD, you know, those little midges that kill, uh, man, just, they just knock down the deer yeah. so bad. Um, I've seen, you know, great properties doing incredibly well and then watch that landowner lose you know, 80% of his bucks in one year. Yeah, that is crazy. You know, and, and that's just crazy. And, and uh, you know, that's that's too bad. And and uh, fortunately, we don't have the hard winters that really kill deer, uh, you know, from, from Traverse City South. Yeah, there's some, there is some deer kill, winter kill in some of those areas. But barring those things from happening well within 10 years, and quite honestly, you, you can say a five-year plan. Right. If you stick to it, you should see some great changes. But part of that change means most of the people I meet have to change how they hunt. They, they just plain hunt too much. Right. Yep. No, <laughs> absolutely. Know, they, mm-hmm. They've got, and even let's say if it's a, if it's a wonderful 40 acres, they've got their four favorite stands. Right. <laughs> and, and they, they, they yes. kind of subscribe to that. You can't kill them if you're on the couch. Exactly. And that's, that's all well and good, but I'll tell you what, in the first 20 days of October, you can educate every mature buck where you'll never get a chance at it. I mean, yeah. he, he's, he's just got that landowner pattern. He knows exactly what that guy yeah. <laughs> Well, I've, we've fallen victim to that. I especially, we had one oh, years ago been hunting a guy's property. And that was my, you know, approach. Like you can't kill him from the couch. So I would go out there a ton. I think I overhunted it. And I think you did too. You do? Oh, yeah. say, hey, no, it's cool, man. You, <laughs> you lived like 10 minutes away it from was, I was like 45. Yeah, I hunted it a lot, but, you know, I thought That's what, fair, what I've been told and like my, like a philosophy with in, in most things in life is like, you can't do it from the couch. So I was like, oh, I'm yeah. going to get a buck. I'm going to go out there and hunt hard. And so, yeah. Uh, so over the years, I'm a, I don't know uh, if, you, if some of you guys know, I know Mark's a, a little more aware of who I am and what I've done. Yeah. I have a reputation for being really detail oriented and I'm an ex mechanical engineer. So that just comes along with right. who I am. So there is not a deer hunt I have been on since 1978 where I didn't write down every weather feature, moon position, every condition and everything, every deer, how many antlers, how many fawns, how many really? antlers bucks. It's all written down, okay? And so I developed a system. So now I have a PowerPoint presentation that I give to my clients that hire me. And it based, it's the title of it is Successfully Predicting Deer Movement. So once, once they reach their goals in habitat management, and they've got bedding areas. So they've got, uh, they've got isolated doe family group bedding. They've got secluded isolated buck bedding they've got food sources they've got travel corridors and they have options and pinch points for hunting different periods of the rut if they follow my guidelines they'll kill those deer now are you is this just so you've gathered this data you've come up with some conclusions based on you know the 40 so such years of of hunting Uh, that's crazy so that's like the jake you know system yeah, it's, it's, it is the Jake system. Yeah, and it, it involves uh, it involves deer biology. Why do mature bucks get up and move and work scrapes and come to food plots 
on those three days out of the year, even though you've run your camera for five months, if you never hunted it, you only got him on camera three of those days. Right. Well, why was he there those three days? Well, I can tell you why. Okay. And I really get it. I can predict it pretty well because I've killed so many. I killed six deer this year on my farm, uh, does and bucks included, and every one of them was killed under those events. And I have some close clients of mine, and I will text message them and say, okay, I'm in my blind. It's 11.30 in the morning. They're like, what are you doing going into 11.30? I said, well, I've got the pressure. The high pressure is going to peak at about 12.30 or 1 o'clock. The wind's switching out of the north, and it's starting to get calm. It's post-cold front. We've got a setting moon at 1.30 in the afternoon. I expect to see great deer movement at about 1 to 1.30. And at about 20 after 1, I send him a picture of the buck laying in front. <laughs> Yeah. Interesting. Now, I say he was right on time, and they're like, I cannot believe that. I go, yeah, he was right on time. So, you, so instead you're, of hunting you're... those two weeks, I just I just picked the, that right day and go out and, and uh, you know, I, I always I joke in my videos, it's just that easy. You just go, you build the habitat, you go out and you kill them. Right. It's just it's, that you har- easy. It's literally harvesting at that point. Now, so why? Yeah, why you're you're yeah. deer farming. You, you, now, <laughs> yeah. are you uh, – this, yeah. this you know, thing is say, no. Is this based on this time of the year? But like a certain weather weather pattern that's gone through. Do you make right. like a calendar it's, going it's, into the year? It's a. It's based on certain weather patterns that we never can predict. Okay, so right. you've got to you've got to watch your ten day forecast. Mm. You've got to pay it a lot of attention to not only pressure but a but a, a sweet spot within pressure. Uh, I'm, I'll bet you guys know who the Drury brothers are. Yeah, absolutely. Heard of them. Barry Drury. Those are the first guys I met 20 years ago that were following high pressure like I was. Hmm. They have that seven. And, and and to this day, they follow high pressure. They follow post cold front and they follow moon position, not moon phase, but moon position where it's at in the sky. And, and you're in that same camp too, correct? Oh, moon, posi- moon position. Am, yep. And that doesn't mean that on a, and on a beautiful October 28th day with a southwest wind and no moon position that you can't have a nice mature buck working the edge of the swamp, working scrapes. That doesn't mean that won't happen, but it just means that under the conditions that I do focus on, I can get him to where I want to be. Right. I've just taught myself not to enter where he lives only under about three or there's three or four days a year that I go in. I actually go into the bedding areas and hunt, and from then on, I just don't. And they're always all-day hunts. If I go in, I'm there all day, and so I, so I, I, I hunt spots that I know that deer will show up when the conditions right, and I, I bring him to me instead of me going to him. Yeah, that's crazy, and, and, and that's a combination of food and bedding areas, and knowing you know that I'm not in there, and of course my scent control is. I try to dial it up as as good as I can, and make sure nothing smells me walking in because you know if that six-year-old doe smells you and stomps her feet and you know yeah, you know the old thing if, if she if she blows she goes right yeah you know what <laughs> i would like to see the jeff scoring system pitted against the hunt wise prediction oh app. yeah they have an a, a prediction app too. so very uh there is a hunting uh mapping app that's locally here in grand rapids called hunt wise and they, yeah i'm familiar with it yeah i use it. do you have your there, have, it runs it runs very close to I can tell you that I I use out I use a number of sources to to pick that perfect time yeah but uh, often it's it's very accurate that's good to know yeah that is that is good yeah. to know those guys do a good job yep, yep. 
Yeah, they do. They do a good job. I'm, I, I use it. Uh, there's, a, there's a couple other apps that I use because I'm looking for really detailed information about the moon. And if, if anybody follows the moon cycle, what it does in a 24-hour time period, it's a, it's a 24-hour, 51-minute cycle. So it's, it's never, you know, wherever it's at right now when we're speaking, it will be 51 minutes later tomorrow before it's in the right. same Right, that makes sense. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and then there's, there's, there's one day out of the month that the moon is closest to the Earth. There's one day out of the month that it's farthest from the Earth. That's apogee and perigee. And so they're all, there's this big combination, and it can seem really overwhelming. I'm overwhelmed. Uh, so, <laughs> so truly, it's all about the weather conditions, post-cold front, high pressure. Those are the, those are the conditions that, are, that I really pay attention. If the moon position is right, that's sort of like the, the, the Hershey's syrup on the ice cream, you know. It's just making it that much better, and I'm, and I'm feeling, you know, I, I've got the, I've got the butterflies in the stomach as I'm getting my camouflage on mm. because, it's like, man, everything's right. I think it's, it actually is going to happen tonight. You know? What is <laughs> ideal moon situation? Yes. Well, you know, in in the moon world, there's a moon minor and a moon major. So a moon, a rising moon or a setting moon is a moon minor, meaning a minor gravitational influence yep and then moon directly overhead say 12 o'clock or directly underneath underfoot that's a major so deer are what they call crepuscular animals meaning they typically move that first hour and a half two hours of daylight and that last hour and a half two hours of daylight so if the moon is in the right position during that during dusk and dawn it's not going to make any difference that's when they normally move but if you've got a rising setting directly overhead or, or underneath moon that say is between 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. when people typically are not hunting, that's when you're going to notice it. Interesting. And I can't tell you how many bucks. I mean, I killed I killed a, a real nice archery buck this year at about 11.25 in the morning, and we had about 11.15 moon event. Interesting. And I killed Brutus two years ago, which is uh, to this day the heaviest buck I've ever killed dressed over 240 um he was killed at 1105 with an 1125 a.m moon event on that day okay and then i killed and i killed palomino this year which is just because he was a real red deer at 305 p.m with a three o'clock moon event so 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 the moon events would be major or minor and you want those to be be major or minor so if that happens to be Say the moon is rising, setting, overhead, underneath, major, minor. During that, you know, that last hour of daylight or that first hour of daylight, you're not going to notice a big change because, hey, deer are out naturally moving during those time periods anyways. Yeah. So I, I try to hunt those moon events during those non-peak deer movement periods, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So you're just, okay, and, that's not, that's crazy. So when everything aligns then, say like, say it's November 7, you've got, a major moon event at 11:25. You know, you've got uh, a front, a high pressure system uh, going on. Yeah. That's like you're you're going out there like ex- oh, ready to go. Yep, gotcha. And so what I've done is I've taken habitat types. If you've got bedding, if you've got food, if you've got a transition zone, which is the area between the bedding and the food, then this matrix that I've put together helps the landowner decide: Is he going to hunt morning? Is he going to hunt evening? Is he going to hunt on the food? in the transition area or in the bedding area based on the stage of the rut. So it, it's it, it, it's not near as complicated as I make it sound. 
but there is some thinking you have to do, but it, it, it won't work unless you, number one, you know where the deer are bedding, you know where they're feeding. Uh, those things have to be known. So for, for a couple of you guys that hunt public land, you're probably going into new places that you haven't really scouted a lot. Right. And a lot of that's unknown, you know. Right. But yeah. I'm sure it, uh, your success you guys have had is pretty sweet when you do go to an area and you use your instinct, and sure enough, here he comes. Right? right, exactly. But, you know, using things like knowing when they're going to be moving, hunting these off hours that you're talking about, I mean, that's yeah. huge for, for guys that do hunt public land because yeah. the woods are emptier. Oh, yeah. That's that's a that's a big boost for anybody. Oh, it is. So anytime you've got something three and a half, four and a half, five and a half years old, especially here in Michigan, high pressure state, that buck he likes to get out and communicate and work scrapes, uh, work the licking branches to you know to, to basically that's the Facebook for deer, right? That's yep. how they 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 <laughs> like talk that. to one another. So he's you know he's real reclusive. He doesn't want to go out in the open. He doesn't want to step out of his bedding area unless he has to. So that's where these weather factors, post cold front, high pressure, that's why that deer gets up on his feet and goes and works his, his jotlet, so to speak. Yeah. Right. Works, you know, works a dozen, 15 scrapes, makes a few rubs. Who knows how far he travels. Some days it could be only a hundred yards. Other days it's four or 500 yards. All depends on the stage of the rut. But, uh, so that's getting in the weeds a little bit, but, but it all is, is considered once you've got that habitat, lined up the way it should be yeah you're, when you go out you're a, you're a big scent guy yeah <laughs> big scent oh yeah i am okay I am. Yep, yep. Um, I, I try to do everything i can i mean i'll tell you you cannot fool, fool a deer's nose anybody who's tried it you right. really can't it's not like i i'm convinced i'm fooling them but i think what i am doing is making deer that do get downwind or cross my trail uh, pretty much they don't smell my feet just or my boots because of the process that i do with my boots but even if a deer does get downwind and smell me, they think I'm 120 yards away and not 20 yards. Away. Okay. Yeah. So I, so they're not adversely changing their their travel pattern at that time. Now these th- guys give me a hard time about a, a lot of things regarding scent control. Well, oh, yeah. we we have and, very. Uh, I think I know where they're going with. Yeah, this. we have very <laughs> different philosophies. Yes. Uh, yep. And one we've had that's been a pretty spirited debate. I won't tell you where where we landed. We'll let you answer uh, without any biases going in. Um, but when you're hunting, do you pee in the stand or do you go in a bottle or do you hold it? You know, I, I have done both. Um, I've got, uh, I've got video evidence <laughs> of what happens when you pee on the ground and deer absolutely freak. <laughs> Were you feet. eating asparagus or was just like and, a regular? And, and, it, and I will tell you that it was shortly after I urinated because we never know once we urinate how quickly and uh, who, who knows what I've also seen deer that don't care at all about it. So I think it's kind of a personality thing. Yeah, that could be. <laughs> it, it really. So you have an answer. You haven't really answered our question yeah. at all. So maybe, maybe not. Yes. Um, you know, I'll tell, I mean, for me, I don't pee on the ground. I have a bottle. I pee in a bottle. There you go, guys. That, wait, you know, just not the deciding factor. I was going to say, because, go ahead. Yeah, yes, you finish it. Well, I think, number one, you know, you're, you're uh, talking to me because we're talking about landowners that have, that own a piece of property and it's pretty much the only property. Sure. Yep. So there are certain conditions that constantly peeing on the ground from certain areas can turn a, a hunting stand into a no-go stand. Right. And that can contribute to that particular hunters let me say sloppiness in his scent control or maybe he's one of those guys that touches 
tree limbs and stems on the way to the stand. So he's leaving evidence behind that Jared. he's discovering late at night when he's in bed. Well, okay. But this is great, and here's why. Here's why this is great, because, and this is this is my spin, of course. Be, Jared and I typically hunt the same stand maybe twice in a year mm-hmm. yeah. on public land. Other, we're moving so much, and and there's where, I mean, I I love the guys that I know, and I got some great friends that are public land hunters, and they're mobile, and they're saddle guys, and they're just roam. And when you've got that going, you you really don't have to do what I'm doing, right? Because you're in a, you're basically in a new fresh spot every time you hunt. But when you're in the same concentrated 15 acre area, yeah. and you're trying to kill, you know, that one deer that that there's heck, there's 25 other people in the square mile gunning for that deer too. Okay? Yeah, they all, they all got him on camera. They know he's yeah, around. yeah. They're so, trying to pattern you as much oh, as you're trying to pattern yeah. them. Yeah. So, now, uh, now, Mark, where where does that really lead? I mean, I feel like we're all right. Now stalemate. In the end. It's a stalemate so far. I, you know what? I think oh, it's whatever so you're, whatever you're comfortable with. Yeah, Mark. You know, if there, I've, I have seen. I mean, you know, uh, I'm sure you guys know who Dan Infault is. Oh yeah. And sure. you know, he, he says, hey, you know, the heck with it. I'll do what I want. Well, sure. You know, he hunts a lot of different properties, and and he's very successful. So I always say, if whatever you're doing is working, keep doing it. Right. Yeah. But ain't broke. That's why Don't I do fix what it. I do because what I do works. And I can tell you 20 years ago when I didn't care about scent control, overhunted too much, I never got in front of these bucks. Yeah. So it works for me. Jake, I mean, we're coming up on time here, and we ended oh. with the most important question. So uh, thank you for coming on. <laughs> uh, oh, you're welcome. Jared, Mark, you guys have any uh, final thoughts, questions while we got Jake here? No, I've lear- learned a lot from this guy, so it's uh, it's good to talk in person and uh, go back over some of this stuff. Yeah, I've been writing notes uh, as you've been going a little bit here. So, Jeff, if we do have any questions or if something pops up, where's a good place to kind of come and find you or reach out to you or just kind of um, find more about you? Yeah, I have a on Facebook page, uh, Habitat Solutions 360 on, on Facebook. Um, I put a lot of content on there. I've also got a web page. Habitat Solutions 360.com. And those are great places to uh, to get a hold of me and find me. Awesome. Excellent. And, and learn information about my services and what I do. Well, thank you again for coming on, and uh, we'll hopefully have you on soon. Hey, it was, it was great. I enjoyed the conversation, and good luck to everybody. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Boga Hunting Podcast. If you guys like what you hear and want to follow along on what we're currently up to, Hit that subscribe button on whatever platform you're listening on and follow us on Instagram at Boga Hunting.